Morning, everyone. Great to see you all. Well done, Tools and the band. And Tools is back from America. Aren't you guys glad? We're glad. We're so happy. Did anybody notice? You all did. Just checking. So we've been going through the book of Philippians, and um, it's been an incredible journey. I'm sure that if you've been following it, that you've learned much. An amazing book, and I love that we do this as a church at Red Point, that we take a book and we mine it. We find all the goodness that we can, and just when we think we've got it all, um, we normally sit in the elders' meeting on a Tuesday morning, and France normally says, I think we should do a couple more weeks. <laughs> and that's what happens. And then we do a couple more weeks and we find more gold because this book is incredibly filled with God's goodness and gold. And um, when Nick asked me if I could share this morning, um, he wanted me to do more of an overview of the book as we've been going through pieces. He wanted me to do an overview with a focus on joy. So that's what we'll do. So it's really great that um, I can do that today. So Paul, as we know by now, he's writing from a Roman prison, and he's writing to this new church in, in Philippi, and um, he's filled with all kinds of emotions, and um, we see, though, that in that, he doesn't lose his passion, he doesn't lose his sense of mission, he doesn't lose his sense of direction, and he does any, or his command of the situation, even though he's, some say, chained to a god. I mean, can you imagine that? You can't do anything. And he focuses on what God has called him to. So much so that this letter that he writes to Philippians is included in Scripture today. Isn't that incredible? I need you guys to give me an amen from now and then, time to time. Thank you. Just say, that's good, Dave. <laughs> so he... He speaks about this, the importance of joy in our lives, and that is, as I said, what I want us to focus on today, this theme of joy that permeates the pages of, of Philippians. It's in, found in all four chapters, and I'm going to unpack it in all four chapters, because this joy is available to us today. Tell your neighbor, it's available. Who are you going to tell, Anthony? So... You may have heard the story about this guy. He wins an ocean cruise on a big ship. And he arrives on the day, but he knows he has got no money to buy food on the cruise. So what he does is he packs a whole lot of packets of biscuits into his suitcase. And then slowly he rations the biscuits throughout the trip. On the last day, the captain comes to him and says to him, have you enjoyed your trip? He said, I've loved it. Everything has been amazing. Only thing is I couldn't enjoy the meals because I never had a budget for the meals. And the captain said, but they were included in the winning ticket. All the meals were covered. We have joy available to us, but not everybody is experiencing it. Not everybody's experiencing it. And that is a sad thing, that the meal has been paid for. The cost is covered. We've just got to enjoy it. We failed to experience it. So today, I want us to look at four different aspects as we travel through Philippians. Joy in partnership from chapter 1. Chapter 2, joy in humility and service. And chapter 3, the joy of knowing Christ. And chapter 4, the joy of contentment. So first of all, let's have a look. What is joy? 
And I'm sure if it was an open forum here that um, many people would have a lot of different answers. But one thing you may have heard before, that it is not happiness. Happiness is a feeling that, is, that comes and goes, and it's based on our circumstances. Joy is something that you can feel when you chain to a Roman God in a prison. That's incredible. So it is a deep-seated sense of contentment and peace that comes from our relationship with Jesus. John Piper says this, and this is a really, really good um, definition of joy. He says, Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. It's amazing, hey? So the difference, um, um, it's joy is not a conviction or a persuasion or a decision. I can't persuade you to be joyful. If you know you're going through something really tough, I, I need to do something else for you to have joy, and I'm going to cover that today. Here's the amazing thing. The difference with a feeling or emotion is that you don't decide to feel something. So this joyful feeling is something that just happens. So I can remember as a young 20-year-old guy, that I was riding my, bike, my motorbike down the freeway on the N2 here, and I was riding too fast, and I fell off. And I ended up in hospital, and I was full of roasties, and I was in a lot of pain. And the next morning, this young nurse walked into the ward, <laughs> and all my pain was gone. <laughs> to cut a long story short, this year we've been married for 39 years. <laughs> So love is a feeling that you can't control. Joy is the same. It's that under, uncontrollable feeling. You know, you're just going along, you're doing something, and suddenly this joy rises up. But there's certain prerequisites for this joy. And some of the things that we have to do to get joy. Isn't that great? Are you ready for it? So the Word is, of God is filled with things that we commanded to do, but there are things that are out of our control to do. For example, rejoice, be grateful, be kind-hearted, be generous. They, they sometimes out of our control. We, we read those scriptures and we wrestle with them. Lord, I want to, but I just I can't. And that's what's incredibly amazing about the good news. The, the Bible is filled with things that, that I cannot produce in my, in my own self. I cannot just decide from now on, I'm going to be known as Dave the generous guy. I just, unless it's something that God gives me, I can't do it. And that's what's amazing is that I know then when I am generous that it's the work that he's done. And that's really awesome. There, there are things that I should do and I know immediately from reading the word of God that, that I should do some things and then I end up not doing them. And Paul has this wrestle in Romans chapter 7. He says, the things I should do, I don't do. And there are things that I shouldn't do and I do do them. And I believe, and um, be careful, I, I don't want to lay my theology out here, but this is kind of something that I've thought about a bit. And um, not my complete theology. If you've got a problem with it, you can email me. <laughs> my email is too late, Redpoint. <laughs> and I think that this is talking about an iniquity of the heart, a remnant of sin that's left in us. So Paul, for example, he is doing his best to please the Lord. But there are things that he knows that he shouldn't do and he does them, and things that he shouldn't do that he, or that he should do and he doesn't do them. I believe it's, it's mainly like an, uh, not a huge wandering off as 
Peter addresses in 2 Peter chapter 2. You can write it down and read it. But I think that it could be something like envy in my heart. I suddenly am jealous of somebody. And I think, Lord, look at that feeling. I shouldn't have that. But it's there. And one day when God takes it away, I'll know it wasn't me. It was him that did it. Isn't that awesome? So Paul says that even though we have these things, he presses on. And Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 to 14 says this, Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus had made, has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that, what I, that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul is living in this world, but he's pressing on to be the person that Jesus wants him to be. He's pressing on, he's straining forward, and I love the language that he uses, that he's, he's straining. It's almost like there's something that wants to hold him back, something that wants to tie him down, but he's pressing and he's straining because he wants to become what Jesus wants, to, wants him to. St. Augustine said this, Father, command me what you will and grant what you command. So he knew that the Lord could command him something to do what God's will was, but he couldn't fulfill it. And then he said, grant what you command. In other words, I want to be completely obedient, but in my own flesh I struggle. I need you to do something to me that I can be all that you want me to be. Isn't that great? So it doesn't mean just giving up. You know what? Okay, let me tell you this little story. Um, since COVID started, I started making videos and I started doing, I did like a tutorial on how to do videography and I've loved it and it's still a journey I'm on. And um, I follow a couple of guys on YouTube that make amazing videos. And the other day, this guy made this incredible video and he says like eight tips to do if you are a videographer. <laughs> and I watched him and he shows the stuff he's been doing. And afterwards, and he's a South African guy, and afterwards I made a comment on his YouTube channel. I said, when I see this, all I want to do is just give up and never make another video because mine are rubbish compared to what you're doing. But Paul is saying, no, let's press on. Let's press on. So we may, may not have attained it, but we can. And God's calling us to. So here comes the good news. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. If you focus on this verse, you'll realize how radical it is that Jesus is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He understands our weakness, goes through temptation without sinning. So it's almost like it doesn't make sense. He's saying, I'll do it. I'll go through the temptation, come out without sin, but I understand that you can't understands our weaknesses. I mean, that is just good news. You know, I think anybody else would say, listen, guys, I did it. What's wrong with you? Amen? Yo, it's quiet. I wanted an amen every now and again, guys. Before you start to analyze this whole thing, that he understands that we could not say no to sin, and yet he can, I think that it should rather well up in our hearts as great joy. 
I think it's one of those verses that we can read, but don't try and pull it apart. Just say, Lord, thank you for your grace. We'll never understand that. That is the goodness and incredible grace of God. You know, many times we see a person who has been forgiven of a lot rejoice more than the person who's been in church for 35 years. Amen? Because those who have been given, forgiven much are more grateful. Is that good so far? <clears throat> so I think, though, that there should always be this joy in our soul. So the joy comes from that part of us that will live forever in our souls, not in our body. It's not something that you can create. You, you, your body may act out. It may dance or sing like if you go to a rugby match or a soccer match and your team scores a goal, the whole stand erupts and they're joyful. But they are, they are, they are, they're feeling their joy somewhere else, but they, their body is reacting in a certain way to that. Amen? So joy is a work, as John Piper said, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. Not in the soccer match, but in church. <laughs> joy is a work of the Holy Spirit. In other words, it is a fruit of the Spirit. We know the fruits, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So this is a fruit that comes from the Holy Spirit, joy. Joy, it's a gift that God gives us. And what an amazing gift. I think that if we were designing gifts for people to have, we would probably think, yes, patience, that's a good one to have. They need that. These people need to be more patient with each other. Self-control, definitely. Generosity, definitely. Peace, good one. But joy, who would have thought of joy? I want this creation of mine just to have these times when this incredible, amazing feeling inside them. I mean, it's, it just benefits you. Isn't that so good of the Lord? You can be driving somewhere all alone in your car and thinking about him, and suddenly there's this joy that just wells up. It's just like the Lord says, I just want to bless you, my child, because I just love you. That's so amazing, isn't it? And I think just that, we can just say, Lord, you're amazing. You're the best. So he puts this joy in our hearts by causing us to see the glory and the beauty of Christ. Philippians 2.13 says, God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. I mean, this is just another mind-blowing verse. God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power, the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So in other words, when we go and we have the desire to please him, and we're able to do it and to please him, we can't even say, look what I did. Because this verse said he gave us that ability. He gave us the desire. He gave us the power. Just an incredible picture of, of the goodness of God. So as we um, journeyed through the book of Philippians, and we learned that Paul's writing from this Philippian jail, he says this in Philippians 4 verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. So even in the midst of hardship and suffering, this joy in the Lord can be found. And um, Paul's letter to the Philippians tells us that when we are in those difficult situations, we can find joy. We can find joy. In other words, there's a searching, Lord, 
I'm looking for that joy in my heart. And you know what God responds? Because he's able to, to do it, he's able to put that joy in there. And that's just awesome. What we do, though, is we choose to focus on negative things instead of focusing on the blessings of God. Of the blessings of God. We can choose to focus and dwell on our problems, or we can choose to trust God and find joy in his promises. Because when you focus on his promises, you find joy. Philippians 4 verse 8 says this, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. See, as Christians, we have many reasons to be joyful. We've been saved by grace. We have the hope of eternal life. We have the love and support of our brothers and sisters. And we have the Holy Spirit that empowers us to live a life that pleases God. Isn't that all great? Those are things that we should focus on. Not the little things that want to hold us back as we try and strain on. So how do we cultivate joy in our lives? Isn't that a good question? How do we do it? You see, I can, it's, it's try, like, like trying to say, how do I get my tree to grow and produce fruit? I can remember as a little boy, my mom would tell me, listen, go and water the garden and I want to see that you've watered it well. So I went out of the host pipe and I watered all the leaves and I said, look, the whole garden is wet. No, need to water the soil <laughs> because the water needs to get to the roots and that's how it grows. And that's what happens in our lives. We have to fertilize the soil. We have to water the soil that there can be growth. And we do that with, um, with thanksgiving. We do it by focusing on what is good and true and finding contentment in all situations, all circumstances. Think about those things that the Bible says, Paul says to Philippians, that are pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. Are you still with me? You're very quiet again. So let's focus on our relationship. Focus on his blessings. Focus on the goodness of God in our lives. Philippians 4 verse 13, Paul says this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Remember where he is when he says this. He's in a pit. He's in a dire situation. He's, he's facing death. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I mean, he's got such a revelation. Where did he get the revelation from? The Lord gave it to him. Joy carries us. It is our strength. We need it, but we cannot just get it. We need it, but we cannot just get it. It is a fruit, and it comes by, by, by trusting the Lord, by staying close to him. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 and 3 says this. For the joy set before him, talking about Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. For the joy set before him. What was the joy that was set before Jesus? It was a whole lot of things, but one of the things was reconciliation between mankind and the Father. Reconciliation, restoration of a relationship for the joy set before him. So he endured this. <clears throat> so Jesus endured something because he saw what was ahead. As we decide 
to not focus on the negatives, but focus on the, the goodness of God and the, and the promises of God, we are doing that for the joy set before us. Because when we do that, the fruit of that is joy. That's good news, isn't it? The good news is incredible. That we are all guilty of sin. And Jesus took our sin. And the reason I'm sharing this is because it is so good, it will bring joy to your life. He died in our place. He took our sin and nailed it to the cross. We've heard that. Our sin was nailed to the cross in Jesus. He didn't just take it and give me your sin and bang, 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 it's on the cross. No, it was in his body and then he was nailed to the cross. And then he didn't just take our sin, but he took the blame as well. Because you see, the buck stops with Jesus. Ever since the Garden of Eden, man has been playing, play, playing the blame game. And I said right. Playing the blame game. We are always, I mean, we know Eve. She went and ate the apple. And um, then Adam came along. And the Lord said to him, what happened? The woman you gave me. <laughs> and then he said to Eve, what happened? The serpent. And so the blame game has gone on ever since. But the buck stops with Jesus. So Jesus came along and he says, okay, pass the buck to me. I'll take it. I'll take all the blame. He says, give it to me. The one person who's without sin says, give me your sin. Pass me the blame, the shame, the cover-ups, everything onto me. I'll take them all. He interrupts all arguments by inserting himself in the cycle of blame and absorbing all the accusations. In the Old Testament, we knew there was the scapegoat, and they would put the, the sin onto it, and it would go. But that was Jesus. He was our scapegoat. And, and 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. But he does more than that in his perfect obedience. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So what does Jesus transfer back to us? He transfers blessing back to us. The devil comes to accuse, Jesus comes to accept. The law comes, announces death, and Jesus announces life. While we are all blame shifting, Jesus is blessing shifting. He pours out on us a blessing that we had no right to. If you think about it, the gospel is actually quite unjust because we were guilty and he took it. And not only did he take our guilt, but he gave us his righteousness. He calls the guilty innocent. Now that is just a radical statement. He calls the guilty innocent. So the devil might come and accuse you. Other people might come and accuse you. And you can say, but Jesus said, I am innocent. We can't even say those words sometimes because we've been so beaten down that we battle to say, Lord, I, I know. I am guilty. And we thank the Lord. But when it comes to the next part, and that, but I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am innocent. That is the gospel. It's radical, isn't it? The slate is wiped clean. Imagine when you get to heaven and everything's exposed. I mean, and they come to like tools and I, and that slate, and you're like, oh, here we go, tools, what are we going to do? And then, 
somebody wiped it away. I saw this movie. Um, <clears throat> this guy, they, they catch him doing something wrong, and it's caught on videotape. For the young people that don't know what a videotape is, it's a magnetic tape. All the data is stored by magnetism on that tape. And they go into the police um, um, place where they keep all the evidence, and um, nobody's allowed to touch anything in there. And the policeman here will know. <laughs> and so what this guy does is he comes there and he decides, I'm not going to touch the evidence. There's a tape inside the box, and I know I'm not allowed to touch the, the evidence. But he's carrying a big magnet like this. And all he does is he puts it next to the box <laughs> for a few minutes, and everything on the tape is gone. <laughs> He never touched the evidence. Amazing, hey? So our slate, I don't know why I said that anyway. Just a story. <laughs> our slate has been wiped clean. But this is the amazing thing. He does write something else on the slate. It is not just clean. He writes on it the righteousness of God. Isn't that beautiful? Now that should cause us to have joy. That should have this cause us to have joy. So let's have a look. As I mentioned, I'm going to look at these four chapters. So joy in partnership. The first chapter of Philippians, Paul says, Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. So Paul finds joy in the partnership with the Philippians because they are fellow laborers. They are laboring with a common cause. I make my request for all of you with joy because you've been my partners. So there's joy in partnership. And I think that one thing that we can do as you maybe look for your calling in life or what has God called me to. We spoke this weekend about calling and assignments down at the camp. And you may not know exactly what your calling is, but you can take up some assignments. And what you do is you go to somebody who you think is doing something really amazing for the Lord and say, you know what? I want to come and I want to help you. I'm going to come and I'm going to carry your suitcase or I'm going to do something just to help you. might be the band that you want to be in the band and you like me somehow. My mom was a musician and my kids are musicians, but I don't know what happened to me, but the gifts jumped. <laughs> but I could come here and say, you know what, I'm going to help you guys roll up these cables off the service. Something that I can come alongside. I'm just giving you an, an example. I'm not saying I'm going to do it, Tools. <laughs> You know what I love? Let me stick to my notes here. So this is a reminder that we're not meant to live out our faith alone. There's supposed to be this partnership. Partnership in, in going on mission and spreading the gospel and helping somebody else who is doing something. Paul, he, what could he do from that prison? He could pray for them and he could write them a letter. And praise the Lord that he did because we have it today. And we can find those things that we can do. What I love doing on a Thursday evening, very often we, when we have prayer here, very often we'll get videos from somebody who's planted a church somewhere else in the world, and they, will, they, they love sending us a prayer video. And they'll say, hi, we 
Jim and Wendy, and we planted this church in some remote place, and these are our prayer requests. And I know when you hear their prayer request that they are laboring. They are out there on the cutting edge, and they're just so pleased that we can gather with them and want to lift their hands and, and help them in their journey. And you can even contact them and write to them and just stir some faith in them. Like Paul did, he wrote a letter to the Philippians. You can do that. You can find one of these couples and say, you know what, I'm going to write a letter to this church at wherever. That is exactly what Paul did. You don't have to be so harsh on some of the points that he made. But anyway, Philippians is about joy. In this partnership in chapter 1, Paul even goes on and he says this, For me, living means for Christ, and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ, so I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. So he's, he's finding a positive in both. If I live, it's great. If I die, it's also great. Eventually decides, let me stay, help you guys. I don't know how many of you are aware, but Tim Keller went to be with the Lord this weekend. So he went home to be with the Lord, and he wrote a letter to his kids, or he told them, and they, they wrote it down, and his words were to them, send me home. I want to see Jesus. Send me home. And I think that is just incredible that he knew he had run his race and he wasn't afraid of death. Death, where is your sting? Isn't that amazing? What a testimony, hey? Are you still with me? Are you all good? Chapter 2, Joy in Humility and Service. So in chapter 2, Paul encourages the Philippian believers to follow the example of Christ, who humbled himself and became a servant. Verse 3, he says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. I think it's a beautiful gift. Humility is incredible. I mean, if you see anybody who's done anything amazing around the world, nobody who was arrogant or prideful is celebrated. The people who were humble, they're the ones who are celebrated. Isn't that amazing? True joy comes from serving others and putting their needs above our own. When we humble ourselves and seek to serve those around us, we reflect the heart of Christ and joy comes to us. Isn't that great? This is a reminder that joy is not found in seeking our own pleasure or success, but in serving others in love. Serving others in love. Sometimes joy can be a quick fruit. Sometimes it can take longer. When I was um, preparing this message and I had written all my notes out and I said to um, Chris, I've done all my notes and I've read through them, but they just seem so boring. (laughs) And he said, Dave, what I normally do is I go for a walk along the trail. And I said, "Um, okay, I'll go for a walk along the trail. You know we have a nature trail in the bottom here. Who doesn't know? You're welcome to walk it. It's 1.4 kilometers it's a real blessing. Why are you doing that? No, 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 it's right. Anyway, so I walked the trail and I prayed the whole way. And I came back up here and Chris said to me, did you find Jesus? I said, he wasn't on the trail. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what happened? I came and I sat down at my desk and I started to read Philippians. 
and I found Jesus. But I know that by looking for him on the trail, he was revealing himself to me through his word. And I said, I found him in the Bible. (laughs) Isn't that great? You know, when you, um, joy can be a quick fruit. When you do something to bless somebody, it can be a longer fruit, but sometimes also it can be, I did that and that was amazing. You know, when we go on mission trips to Lesotho, um, we go through this little town of Boston, and in Boston is this really awesome coffee shop called Rock's Coffee. You see, the people who've been know. Rock's Coffee. And Rock's Coffee, they've got this little tip jar, and it's a little glass um, jar on their counter, and it says this, put your tip here. See how good it feels. <laughs> and when you put your tip and you think, that felt good. <laughs> Isn't that great? Amen. Chapter 3, joy in knowing Christ. So Paul emphasized the importance of knowing Christ and having a personal relationship with him. And as I shared about this incredible um, good news just now about how he takes our blame and he takes us and, and he gives us his righteousness and he wipes us late clean and he takes away every bad thing that we've ever done. That is joy. That truly is the joy of knowing Christ, knowing Christ. When we stand before the Father one day and we get to, to heaven, that's going to be the one thing. I know Jesus. Somebody says, why are you here? I know Jesus. Amen? In chapter 3, Paul emphasizes the importance of knowing Christ and having this personal relationship with him. He reminds the readers in chapter 3 of all his trophies. He reminds the readers of all his trophies, and then he discards the whole lot, treating them as garbage compared with the infinite grace, greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. He writes in, in, chapter, in verse 7 of chapter 3, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ. You know what he's doing? He does not want any single hindrance that could stop him from knowing Christ. True joy is in knowing Christ and having this deep, an intimate relationship with him. Not dependent on our circumstances or our possessions or anything like that, but our relationship in Christ. That is where true joy is found. And it's a a joy that surpasses anything that the world could offer. Many people are looking for all kinds of things. Um, And I'm sure you've heard this many times that we all have this hole in our hearts, but it's a God-sized hole. And the only piece that fits there of that jigsaw puzzle is the piece of Jesus. He speaks of things that he set his mind to, forgetting what lies behind, but pressing on to what lies ahead. Such a lesson for us, not to be dwelling on the past. There's a story, I don't know if, if you remember the, um, the Peanuts co- comic strip. How many of you remember the Peanuts comic strip? So it was a little um, Charlie Brown, Peanuts kind of thing. And Lucy is the little girl, and she, they're playing baseball. They're always playing baseball or softball in the, in the comic strips. And um, one of the kids hits the sky ball, and the ball goes high up in the air, and little Lucy runs out there, and she's about to catch it. She's about to catch it the last minute. She drops the ball. 
And they come to you and they say to you, what happened? You had it. And she said, I know I had it. But as it was coming down, the past got in my way. I remembered all the times I dropped it. Forgetting what is behind. Pressing on to what lies ahead. Don't allow your past to rob you of your future. Don't allow your past to rob you of your future. Don't dwell on those things. Chapter 4, the last chapter. In the final chapter of Philippians, Paul encourages the believers to find contentment in all circumstances. He writes this in verse 11. I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. He teaches that the true joy comes from being content with what we have rather than always striving for more. Joy is not found in material possessions. Happiness might be, but not joy. Or worldly success, but by being content with what we have and learning to trust in God's provision. You know, so many times we have this idea, you know what, if I just had to win the lotto, I will just be filled with joy for the rest of my life because I can do this, 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 and this. Amen? Is it only me? (laughs) But God wants us to trust him. He wants us to rely on him. He wants us to know that his word is true, that he's a provider. He has been providing for people for thousands of years. He's really, really good at it. You can trust him. He is trustworthy. And that's where joy comes, by trusting him. It almost becomes like a when the relationship is really close, Lord, I know you're going to just provide. I'm just trying to guess. I'll have, let's have a guessing game how you're going to do it, because I know you're going to do it. How are you going to do it? Let's see. And then the Lord will surprise you another way. I remember um, reading the book God Smuggler. Have you read it? It's about Brother Andrew. He smuggles Bibles into Russia years and years ago in his little beetle. And um, the whole idea is that as he smuggles him over the border, he's, he prays the prayer, Lord, you made blind eyes see. Now make seeing eyes blind that they will not see the Bibles. And that's what happens. And the people dig through looking for Bibles. And the guys, the, the guards are actually busy moving the Bibles around and they're looking for Bibles, but they cannot see them. Incredible. But anyway, what I was telling you is when he was um, at Bible college, they were told to go out and trust the Lord for their, their income. And they were not allowed to ask anybody. So one day, he was um, chatting to somebody, and he said he had no money at all. And this guy wanted to talk to him. So while they were talking, and it was years ago, so coins were valuable. There was like a one-pound coin. He, as he was talking, he saw the guy, he saw, talking, talking to the guy, he saw this one pound or whatever coin it was lying on the floor. And he thought, whoa, here we go. The Lord's providing. And he just felt, but no, that's not God's provision. But anyway, what he did is he put his foot over it and carried on talking to the guy. And then as they were talking, 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 he pretended that he was going to pick up some stones. He picked it up and he threw the stone, threw the stone, and put the coin in his pocket. <laughs> and then he felt the Lord say, really? And he felt so much conviction. Took the coin out. If you read the book, it might not be word for word like this. Took the coin out, blessed the guy. And the guy said to him, I've actually got something for you to give me an envelope with a note inside. Cash note. And he just thought, Whoa, 
That was just amazing, amazing lesson on being generous and trusting the Lord. Is that good? Paul urges us here to maintain tough minds, fixing our minds on what is right and profitable. The words here that I saw here, discipline, having a disciplined mind, being content, being focused on the word of God and what he's calling us to and what he, the, the kind of life he's telling us to live. Very often when we're under pressure, we will, we will act in a certain way and we will try and find a scripture to justify what we did. But deep down inside us, we know that's not the way of the Lord. And you know what will happen is um, we will almost fail the test that God wants to, to give us. And you know what happens when you fail a test in the kingdom? You've got to retake the test. And very often it means you, you do the year again too. <laughs> Not just rewrite the test. But you need to learn the lesson again. Amen? So Paul, he, he loves this Philippian church. He affirms his love for him. The letter is warm and affectionate. And I love those two words, warm and affectionate. And I think that in our lives we need to be warm and affectionate to one another. In verse 18 he says, I'm generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are the gifts, are a sweet-selling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. What a promise. Our God will supply all your needs, not according to our riches, because I can't supply all your needs according to my riches, but God according to his riches. Isn't that amazing? So the book of Philippians teaches us that joy is not dependent on our circumstances, but on our relationship with Christ and our willingness to serve each other in love. We need to humble ourselves and serve one another around us. Joy is a fruit Cultivate the soil of the kingdom and watch the, watch the joy arise in our hearts. So the question is, why do we need joy? Remember I said at the beginning of my message that there were the, all these fruits of the Spirit, and joy is one of them that I thought, mm, if I was creating people, would I really have given them that feeling of incredible joy? And Nehemiah says this, the joy of the Lord is your strength. That is the thing that keeps Paul going. That is the thing that keeps us going. When times are tough and you know what am I going to do, that Christ, by his incredible grace, as we have heard, can just well up this joy inside of you. It's going to be okay. There's an incredible feeling. Isn't that awesome? And that is why we need joy. And so I want to show you a little illustration here. So I've got two Coke cans. Here they are. They both are identical. They look the same. Everything about them is identical. Same artwork. Okay, they're Coke Zero cans. Um, No sugar. (laughs) No joy. (laughs) So let me show you what is amazing with these two cans. Watch this. What happened to that can? The one is full. 
and the other one was empty. When you are full of joy, the joy of the Lord is your strength. When you are full and the enemy comes to you and he comes with an accusation, you've got this joy that you are full of that he cannot get you down. Isn't that great? The joy of the Lord is your strength. Let's all stand. Thanks, Tools. So you may be here today, and you might be thinking, wow, that is for me. I need joy. And maybe you don't even realize how much you need joy, but I'm telling you now that a time will come when you need to be filled with joy because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so I'd like us just, if we can just close our eyes. Maybe you have never received Jesus as your Savior. That's the starting point. Maybe you're thinking, well, do I really need him? And I hope that I've convinced you during this message that you're not going to make it on your own. And maybe you are saying, I don't know if I really believe the story about Jesus. Well, if that is you, then I encourage you to go and make sure that you study it. Go and read the Bible and make sure that you do your own investigation and not just hear what somebody else is saying because I believe that when you do your own investigation, you'll find out that this word is true. It has stood through the ages because it is true. And maybe you just need that incredible joy that you're facing something and you need that strength inside you. So I'm going to pray. And you can just echo a part of the prayer that you feel is for you. So Lord, as we hear your word, as every one of us stand before you today, Lord God, those who do not know you or those who are questioning, those who are weary of you or scared of you or don't even know that if you really walked on this earth, I pray, Lord God, that you would minister to them those who are saying this morning I need you Lord Jesus I pray that you would come into their life and reveal yourself to them be the Lord of their life if that is you just open your heart to him just say Lord Jesus come into my life I repent change me Lord Lord I pray Lord God for those who are tired and weary and just need your life and your joy to rise up in them that they would once again remember the joy of our salvation that you, Lord Jesus, came to earth, that you were nailed to a cross, and in your body was nailed our sin, that you took it all, Lord God, that you took the blame, the buck stopped with you, that you poured out blessing upon us, you wiped the slate clean and gave us your righteousness, that we can stand before the Father absolutely clean, and innocent because of you, Lord Jesus. Pray, Lord God, that as this week unfolds, that we would bubble up with joy, that your joy would rise in our hearts. Let us remember to cultivate joy by serving, by loving one another, Lord God, by encouraging one another, Lord God, by coming alongside and partnering with somebody in, your, in the gospel, that that joy could arise as we saw with Paul. Pray, Lord God, for those that are going through a difficult time right now, that you would bring your hand of deliverance, Lord God. Bring your joy. In Jesus' name.
Amen.